Good morning, church. Good to have you here this morning. Welcome to those who are online. It's good to have you here, too. Um, we are starting a new series today. I'm Pastor Vern, by the way, if I don't know you. It's good good to, uh, to have you here. Uh, and we are starting a new series today called Songs in the Key of Love. Very excited about this series. We're going to be talking about love for the next six weeks. What better thing could we talk about than love, right? Great topic. And I get to kick it off. I want you to think back. I'm looking around. I think mo eh, many of us will be able to do this. Think back to 1985, okay? Yeah, if you can't do that, just, you know, just hang on, okay? Just, you'll learn something here this morning. Think back to 1985, okay? Um, Coca-Cola introduced New Coke in 1985. I don't think it lasted very long, right? I think that's, that's gone, right? Okay. Nintendo released NES in 1985. Anybody still playing their NES system? Yeah? Okay. Uh, Mike, God, this, this one really hit me. Michael Jordan was the NBA Rookie of the Year. <laughs> yeah, in 1985. This one might hit you in your pocketbook. A gallon of gas cost a dollar nine in 1985, and the rock band Foreigner came out with this song in 1985. Wow, isn't that a great song? Isn't that a good song? Come on, that's a great song. That's such a good song. Actually, uh, Billboard lists that as number 36 of the greatest all-time love songs. Number 36, back from 1985. Foreigner was concerned. They were nervous about putting that song out because, of course, they were a rock band, right? And this is a love ballad. They were concerned about what that might do to their image, but it became, you know, their greatest hit. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, a couple of details you saw in the video, uh, that's the New Jersey Mass Choir. And I was reading uh, behind uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff about this story. Actually, I was reading an interview with Lou Graham, who was the lead singer. Uh, the New Jersey Mass Choir, when they came in to record the song, they stopped, took hands, and they, they prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And Graham says it really moved the band. I mean, they were just like, you know, really impressed about the, the, the spiritual uh, focus of that choir as they came in to sing uh, for that song. Couple other details, things that are uh, maybe of interest to you. Um, you are two, one degree, two degrees away from fame being here this morning because Andrea Moore, who was up here leading worship for us this morning, she is the niece of Lou Graham. So yeah, how about that? <laughs> so, right? Musical talent runs in the family, and we're, we're glad to have Andrea here. We're glad to have Sarah here this morning. Sarah was back with us leading worship as well today. One more piece of, uh, of information that I think is important to share. Lou Graham became a Christian in the years following the release of that song. So think about that. Lou Graham saying, I want to know what love is, which is a prayer, right? In a lot of ways, can be a prayer. We offer that to God. That's a prayer. And God answered that prayer by showing him the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, amen. You know, we can, we can uh, celebrate that. That's a good thing. 
All right, so why, why that song? Well, obviously, it's a great opening song for this series, I Wanna Know What Love Is. Let me share with you a little bit of the lyrics uh, from the song. I've gotta take a little time, a little time to think things over. We're gonna do that. I better read between the lines in case I need it when I'm older. This mountain I must climb feels like a world upon my shoulders. Through the clouds I see love shine, keeps me warm as life grows colder. In my life there's been heartache and pain, I don't know if I can face it again. Can't stop now, I've traveled so far to change this lonely life. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. Awesome. Great song, great start to, to this series. And that's what we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be sharing some popular songs about love and then uh, talking about love from a biblical perspective, what God has to say about it. So today, I'm gonna kick it off with what is love and how do we get it? Could have started in a lot of places. You know, the whole Bible really is a love story. It's God's love story to us. Uh, so, you know, we could have started with um, places like, uh, like, like Hosea is a, is a wonderful book. If you haven't read Hosea in a while, it's an incredible book about God's love and his faithfulness to us. We could have started with the story of the prodigal son, could have started with the story of Ruth. Ruth is a love story between the love between a woman and her mother-in-law, between a woman and, and Boaz, Ruth and Boaz. Could have started with a love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Could have started with a love verse, John 3:16. But I decided today I was going to start uh, by hearing from the disciple, the follower of Jesus, who called himself the one that Jesus loved which I always, that just always really kind of gets to my heart because Jesus clearly loved all, right? All people and all of his disciples. But John, the apostle John, just felt like, man, Jesus' love got to him in, in an incredibly personal way. And that's how he referred to himself. He was the one that Jesus loved, like he was special among them all. I just think he was so affected by the love of Christ that that's how he felt about it. So we're going to uh, read from the epistle of 1 John. It's a short book towards the back of the Bible. And I'm gonna read a fairly lengthy passage, but I just didn't feel I could cut it. It's 1 John 4, starting with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Well, we could chew on that for a long, long time, but I just want to draw out a few things from that passage this morning, encouraging you to read it over on your own a few times this week and think about what God is saying there. But the first thing I want to say today is, that, is what John says twice in that passage. God is love. God is love. All genuine love comes from God. He's the originator of love. We would not have a clue about what love is unless God had given it to us. Love comes from God because God is love. God's love is all-encompassing. Everything he does, therefore, has to come from love. If God is love, then everything that God does is an act of love from God. He cannot not love. God's love is eternal. Since God himself is eternal, he has no beginning, no end. His love is eternal. It will never disappear. He will never run out of it. God's love is personal. It's meant for each one of us individually. And God's love is unconditional. God loves us regardless of how messed up we are or how messed up we made our lives or where we've been or what we've done. God loves us unconditionally. Romans 5.8 reminds us of that. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God loves us to the same degree always. His love for us doesn't increase or decrease based on how good or how bad we've been. He knows us thoroughly and loves us thoroughly. So do you want to know what love is? It's caring about those that we might think are undeserving. See, I want to draw some, some applications from what John says here about God's love and how that's to be transferred through us to other people. And this is the first one. Since God loved us at our worst, since God loves us at our most miserable, God is inviting us to be the kinds of people who will love all other people in the same way. Right? There's no one who's undeserving of our love, just like none of us are, 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 are unable to be loved by God. We might feel undeserving, but God loves us anyway. He loves us in our, our worst states. And he asks us to love other people that the world might think are undesirable or undeserving or, or unlovable. You know, so much of our love for each other is based on reciprocity, right? It's give and take. Uh, Henry Nouwen is uh, an author. He's passed away now, but I, I love his books and the things that he says about God. And, and he says this about love. He says, the world says, yes, I love you if you're good looking, intelligent, and wealthy. I love you if you have a good education, a good job, good connections. I love you if you produce much, sell much, and buy much. There are endless ifs hidden in the world's love. These ifs enslave me, since it's impossible to respond adequately to all of them. The world's love is and always will be conditional. As long as I keep looking for my true self in the world of conditional love, I will remain hooked to the world, trying and failing and trying again. It's a world that fosters addictions because what it offers cannot satisfy the deepest craving of my heart. Having read that interview that Lou Graham gave after he became a Christian, I think that he would resonate with those words of Henry Nouwen. You know, it's one thing to, to feel the love of people and the love of the world when you're producing hits and things are going well for you and you're a rising star, but when all of that disappears, what happens to the love of the world? What happens to the love of your fans and your people, right? You lose a lot of that. And that's what Nowen is saying. Yeah, you know, in the world we live in, our love is conditional in a, lot of in a lot of ways. You know, we love you if you can do this for us. We love you if you 
treat me this way. But God, his, there's no if on God's love. He just simply loves us because he loves us. That's all. He wants to set us free from feeling we can only be loved if. David Jeremiah uh, wrote this. He said, for the writers of the New Testament, the idea of God loving imperfect people in a perfect way was so radical and new that only the relatively obscure word agape could capture it. You know, the Greek uses various words for love. There's the, the word eros, which is a romantic, physical kind of love. There's the word um, phileo, which uh, is used in the title, you know, in the name of the city of Philadelphia, phileo. And phileo is, is a familial kind of love, right? A love based on relationship. But agape is a love that's simply given, right? It's, it's, it's given without condition. It's just poured out. And that's the word that John uses for love in this passage. It's the word the Bible uses for God's kind of love. It's sacrificial. It's just a love that is given out because this is the essence of who the lover is. He must love. God must love us because he is love. God loves everyone. I see that sign as I drive around town. Maybe you've seen it too. It's kind of hard to miss. And when I see that sign, God loves everyone, I think, absolutely. That is true, 100%. We ought to be able to get behind that and say amen to that. God loves everyone. But does that mean that God has no expectations for us? Does that mean that God is cool to use that phrase, I wasn't thinking of saying it that way, but that God is cool with whatever we do, right? That God is okay with it. He just smiles upon it all because God loves everyone. Well, well think about that, you know? Think, this is the illustration that came to my mind as I thought about it. Imagine that you're walking through Walmart and you see a young child and, and he's knocking things off the shelves everywhere he goes, just knocking everything off the shelves. He gets a shopping cart and he starts ramming other people's shopping carts with it. And he starts screaming at the top of his lungs. And his parent is standing by and you see the parent and the parent is doing nothing about this. And you ask the parent, why aren't you doing something here about your child? Well, because I love them. I just can't interfere with their behavior. I don't have expectations for them. I just love them. And we would say, is that love? Really? Are you really loving your child by allowing them to act in this way? You see, God loves us unconditionally, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't want the best for us as well. In fact, love means wanting the best for us, right? In Proverbs 3.12, it says, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. It's not loving to let a child just run amok in Walmart and think that this is okay, right? That's not loving. The loving thing is to discipline, to help a child to grow. And in the same way, God wants us to grow because he loves us. God's discipline is never given, though, apart from his love for us. In Lamentations, we read, Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. We should never think that, that God gets some kind of sadistic pleasure out of disciplining us. He doesn't. He disciplines us out of love for us. Do you want to know what love is? It's caring about other people enough to want them to be the holy people that God created them and us to be. Love is one of the things that God is. God is love. But you know the Bible says other things about what God is. God is holy. God is fire. It says that, that God is light. Fire usually has to do, in the Bible, reference to God, it has to do with judgment. Light has to do with exposing the darkness. 
Alistair Begg in a message on love that, that I listened to and I really appreciated what he said in this way. Uh, I'm going to quote him. He says, so far from condoning sin, God's love has found a way to expose it because he is light and to consume it because he is fire without destroying the sinner because he is love. I love that. That's, that's a sentence that's worth thinking about a little bit, right? So far from condoning sin, God's love has found a way to expose it because he is light, consume it because he is fire, without destroying the sinner because he is love. See, you can't disentangle God's love from his justice or his holiness, which means that genuine love is always characterized by righteousness and holiness and justice. If we want a just world, right, that comes from love for others. If we want to love people well, we need to also be people who care about righteousness and justice and holiness for others and for ourselves also. Well, we're not able to do any of that on our own. So my next point is this out of 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. God loved us so much that he made the first move. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God showed us the extent of his love by sending Jesus to us. I think of this, I'm on children today, okay? I'm going to be another, we're going to have another grandchild in a, in a few weeks. I'm excited about that, so I'm, I'm thinking all about kids and little ones. So here I'm thinking about how, you know, we are like toddlers playing on the floor. And what we want is we want to know that we're loved, but we, we're helpless. We reach up, but that's all we can do with our short arms. We reach up this far, and that's all we can do, right? And our parent is there, and what we want is to be picked up and held and hugged and let, you know, just to, be know, just to know that we're loved, right? But we can't get that. The parent reaches down, picks us up, puts us in their arms, gives us a tight hug, and says, I love you. And this is exactly what God did. We couldn't reach up to God because of our sin, because, of, because we are unrighteous and unholy. We could not walk up to God. We could not reach up to God and grab him and pull him down. So God reached down. He sent his son Jesus to us, right? Because we couldn't get to him. He came to us. That's love. Love makes the first move. This is what John is telling us here. He says that Jesus came as our atoning sacrifice. It's an important phrase. What does that mean, atoning sacrifice? It means we needed somebody to atone for, make up for, pay for our sins through a sacrifice. Through a sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did. He came as our atoning sacrifice. Knave's Dictionary defines it this way. The divine act of grace in which God accepts an offering as a substitute for the punishment for sin. That's exactly what God did in sending Jesus. He sent him here as a sacrifice to pay for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven. God did that out of love. We're free to reject that, right? We're free to say, no, thank you. I don't, I don't want that. I don't accept Jesus as my Savior, my atoning sacrifice. I don't accept God's love given to me in this way. I reject that. We're free to do that. But it doesn't stop God from loving us. It doesn't stop God from wanting that relationship with us. It doesn't stop him from offering it to us. Love takes the initiative to fix broken relationships. So do you want to know what love is? It's being willing to make the first move to fix a broken relationship. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. That's remarkable 
Think about what he's saying. God is saying, listen, um, you've come to worship, right? And you want to bring a gift for me. But you know that your brother or sister is holding something against you. You leave your gift. Just leave it. You go and take care of that relationship, and then you come back and worship me. You see, part of our worship, part of what God wants in our worship is that we are willing to make the first move to restore broken relationships in our lives. Casting Crowns has a song called Love Moved First, and it goes in part like this, from the throne to the manger, from a manger to the grave, your cross is the proof love made the first move. From a grave meant to keep you to a stone rolled away, your cross is the proof love made the first move. So let me ask you, is there a relationship in your life that is broken? And are you holding back from making a move to restore that relationship? Are you waiting? I'll say sorry when they say sorry. You know, I'll go to coffee with them, sure, just as soon as they call me and ask me to go to coffee, right? Love makes the first move. Now, there's one caveat, and I was talking with somebody, and I want to make this clear. Abusive relationships, I'm not telling you you have to work to restore those, but you still may have to make the first move. And the first move in cases like that might be to ask God to give you a heart that forgives them. It might be to ask God to show you how to walk through that relationship in a way that's healthy for you, healthy for them, and honoring to God. So you've got to decide what the first move is. I'm not telling you what that is. I'm just saying that God made the first move to restore a broken relationship with us, and I think he asks us to be willing to make the first move to restore relationships with other people. Next, God's love grows in us and allows us to live confidently before God through faith in Christ. Looking at verses 11 to 18, there's a lot in there we could cover. Two big ideas. First, I want to bring out this one. God's love allows us to live confidently through faith in Christ. There's a few ways that John says this in the passage. He says, this is how we know, keyword know, that we live in him. He has given us his spirit. He says, we rely on the love God has for us. Then he says, we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Jesus in the way that we love. Therefore, we don't have to fear that day. You see, the idea that there is a future day of judgment, uh, that's, that's a fading idea in our world for a lot of people, right? I mean, live for today, live for this world. We don't have to worry about a God judging us someday, but the Bible teaches us that there absolutely is coming a day of judgment when we will all stand before God and have to give account for our lives. Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I read that passage and I thought, his sacrifice was for many. What does that mean? Well, it's for many because not everyone accepts his sacrifice for them, Right? So many reject the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. So his sacrifice is not insufficient. It just cannot be applied to those who reject it. But love compelled God to send Jesus to pay for our sins so that we can have confidence before God. We can come before God without fear, the Bible says, because we have relationship with him through his son, Jesus. There will be a day when every individual will have to stand before God. But if we're relying on God's love in Christ, we don't have to be afraid. You want to know what love is? It's seeking to remove fear and replace it with trust and confidence. 
When we truly love people, we don't want them to be afraid of us. We don't want them to cower before us. We want their respect, but we want them to trust us. We want them to have confidence in us. We want to establish the kind of relationships where people know they can rely upon us. Well, the last thing here that I want to mention from that passage is this, that the way God loves us and the love that he pours in us, of course, we are to share, as I've been implying, with other people. John says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. It's interesting that that phrase that John uses, no one has ever seen God, he used it earlier in his gospel in John 14, I'm sorry, in John 1, he says, no one has ever seen God. This is the, these words are in the mouth of Jesus. No one has ever seen God, Jesus says, but if you see me, you see the Father. Well, Jesus has ascended to heaven. So now, how are people to look and see Jesus, or how they look to see God? They look to see him through us, and through the way that we love each other, and the way that we love God. John says, God pours his love into us so that we can pour his love into others. Notice it's not a suggestion. It's not like it would be a good idea if you learned how to love people well. He says, no, no, you have to learn how to love people well. And more than that, if you have God's spirit in you, you will learn how to love people well. It's just an outgrowth of God's presence in your life. First John 3, John says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And he also says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You want to know what love is? It's loving people the way Jesus loves us. Because he loves us. And because he's asked us to. And because out of love for him, we want to. Let me close with this. How can we love others with God-like love? Well, as I looked through my Bible, I saw that there were five characteristics of, of God's love that I think we can begin or continue uh, to, to display to other people. And the first is this, be gracious and compassionate. Second Chronicles 30, the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. We can be people who extend grace and compassion to others. We can speak kindly, we can be sensitive, we can be thoughtful to people. Be merciful and forgiving. Daniel 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We can be people who don't harbor grudges. We can be people who are willing to forgive. We can be people who don't seek to hurt others the way that they have hurt us, to get back because they've done to us. And then be faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be people who keep our vows to our spouses. We can be people who remain faithful to our friends and to our brothers and sisters in Christ who refuse to betray relationships through gossip or backstabbing or throwing people under the bus. We can do this. We can do this as, as the sons and daughters of God because we have the spirit of Jesus Christ living within us. If we are in Christ, he empowers us to love others the way that he loves us.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, this message from 1 John and so much there for us to think about and, and so much that's challenging. And, but the good news that we embrace is that you will help us with this and, and you will continue to give us the power and the, and the ability to love well. We also trust in your mercy and your forgiveness that when we have blown it, when we have failed to do just that, um, that you will not abandon us, but you will continue to move us forward. And we thank you for that. Lord, this world needs to know what love is. And you have given us the responsibility of showing that. We ask for your help to do it. Begin with us in our own relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our families, with our friends, with our church, with our workplaces. Lord, um, show us what it means to love well and help us to do that. To your glory and the praise of our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, sometimes I feel like I've got, I got this, right? Yeah, God has made me a loving person, praise the Lord. And then some days I feel like I got to repeat grade school. You know, like uh, go back, here we got a lot more to learn. So I don't know where you're at today with all of this, but, but trust God to continue to show you how to love well. He wants us to be able to, and he will help us to do so. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. The benediction I want to leave you with today is from 2 Thessalonians 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Thank you for being here to worship this morning. Go in the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.